Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Cave of Forgotten Dreams, the new Werner Herzog 3D film about cave paintings in France. Joining me in the Slate studio is Alice Tynan. Hi, Alice. Hello. You are a freelance Australian film critic and blogger who has a long acquaintance with Slate Podcasts. Alice first appeared on a Slate podcast a couple years ago when you won a listener contest. I did, On the Slate Culture Gab Fest. Talking about my mum going down the Grand Canyon on a mule. Yes, you you told the best conversion story of converting a new listener to the podcast, and nobody else had a nearly blind mother who descended the Grand Canyon on a mule while listening to the Slate Culture Gap Fest. You know, you can't write this stuff. <laughs> and so then as a result, you came on. I think you did a guest endorsement on the Gap Fest. Then mm-hmm. you and I spoiled a movie together. We did. Get him to the Greek. Get him to the Greek. Which... And you had to stay up until one in the morning or something, Australia time, exactly. to do it. Exactly. It's much, much more sociable being here in person. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, finally we meet in person and we got to see this movie in person person a couple nights ago, which so was... So exciting. So before we get into the spoilage, I just want to hear your, your overall reaction to Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Oh, it blew me away. I completely geeked out on it. I think you and I were just like giddy schoolgirls by the end of it. I think it's just such an amazing discovery and such an amazing film because of Herzog. I think he kind of adds another level to what is otherwise a really important portrayal of this found masterpiece. You're right. I mean, even if there was a very dry Mm. PBS-style Talking Heads documentary, I would be glued to the screen. And (laughs) and cave paintings have, for a long time, been an obsession of mine. It's Mm. one of my probably favorite art forms in the world. So the fact that Herzog, who is, I think now I could say, one of my favorite living documentary directors, at least. I mean, Mm -hmm. not even getting into his fiction work for now, but there's almost no one I would rather see tell a documentary story than Warren Herzog. Yeah, he makes it so cinematic as well, right? It's not just, as you say, it's not just Talking Heads and okay, here is the cave. He's Werner Herzog. He goes a little bit nutty, which we'll talk about, right? Yes, okay, I think good. that's what we should get into now. So yes, <laughs> okay. we agree that we both swooned. We loved it, loved it. And should we say that he was there and he spoke to us? Yes, we should also mention that oh. we, we happened to see it at a, a dreamy screening at a so swank dreamy. hotel in Soho that was hosted by the Archaeological Society of New York. Or I'm not sure so. who was hosting it, but it was archaeologists. Mm-hmm. And afterwards there was a panel with three archaeologists and Werner Herzog mm-hmm. talking about the film, which was also kind of interesting because it sort of turned into a territorial It did. Match. It did. Am I allowed to say pissing contest? Because it, it, <laughs> yeah, you can curse on. Yeah, this. it was. It was interesting to see just the way that a filmmaker was talking to professional academics, and they did lock horns a little bit, which kind of reflected the film, right? And and how he's kind of trying to lock horns with the scientists and trying to get access and trying to film, and he, he's at pains to tell you all of the things that he had to go through to capture this on screen. Right, so that's, that's part of the story of the mm. film is the difficulty of making the film. So we should give a little bit of background okay. about what he's filming and why. So okay. he's down in the south of France in the Ardèche region yes. filming a cave or a series of caves called the Chauvet Caves named after the man who discovered them in mm-hmm. 1994. I think this is the most recently discovered group of cave paintings in Europe. It certainly is the oldest so, and I think that was the big um, shocker when mm. these, these caves were found in 1994 that Lascaux or Altamira, the famous caves that had been found earlier. I'm not going to get the exact time for Correct, but this cave is almost twice as old as the oldest pri- previous that, one that had been yeah, found. So he's saying 32,000 I think 32,000 years is the current mm. dating, but Herzog was saying in the question and answer session that there's been recent data suggesting that it might be 3,000 years older than that, even. Exactly. So this really would be essentially the first figurative marks made by the human hand. I think I'm right in saying yes. that. So that in Get itself, excited. That in itself is, is pretty thrilling. 
Um, and these caves, because of their preciousness as part of the human patrimony and because they can be so easily damaged by mm-hmm. breath or human, I guess mold can grow on the walls just from CO2 existing in the caves. So, exactly. So access is, is very, very limited. And essentially, just a few scientists are allowed to go in these things every year. And mm-hmm. But Herzog somehow, and I would like to see a documentary about this, somehow wangled from the French Ministry of Culture permission to go there They gave for a it week. to a German. What a German. Is going I mean, on? what a case he must have made. I, I would have, I would really love to be a fly on the wall in that conversation. So, he gets to go in for six hours a day for four days, I mm-hmm. think, and then to sort of hang out with the team who are in a sports center nearby in this makeshift office. All exactly. these archaeologists and and scientists, kind of crunching the numbers and figuring out the data about mm-hmm. these newly discovered caves. And so the first aesthetic choice that he made that was quite interesting is that this movie is in 3D, which when yes. I first heard about it, Werner Herzog, Cave Paintings 3D, it almost made me laugh. It seemed that the 3D must have been some sort of mordant joke on the current fad to have everything in 3D and that it might have had more to do with, you know, poking fun at the hypersensational world of 3D than with the actual aesthetic requirements of the film. But as it turns out, very reluctant. if there's any movie that I've ever seen that needed to be in 3D, it's this movie. Absolutely. Because these paintings, which I had seen depicted in books many times, use the contours of the walls in ways that I had never imagined, even though every book always mentions, well, these artists were incredible at using the material, right? Mm. At, at using the, the shape of the walls and the scratches on the walls and the ridges in the rock and so forth. But to read about it is completely different than actually seeing the walls in relief. Well, yeah, I've actually been lucky enough to go to the Altamira Caves in near Santander in Spain. And so and they don't actually allow the public into the caves themselves, but they've done a full-scale replica, which I think they're going to do for the Chauvet Caves, which would be fantastic. So they actually dig, when you say they do a replica, they actually dig a cave in that exact shape into the rock? Yeah, it was a full-scale replica. It was it was stunning. You get to walk around and you get to see exactly that, that they are in relief and that they do use the contours of the rocks to create shapes. Like there's this amazing bison on the wall and his flanks are kind of in the contour of the wall. And, and so to see that, even that it was a, a replica, uh, it just gives you chills. So I can't wait. As soon as the Chauvet Cave replica opens, I'm there. I'm, you know, we'll have to have a date over there or something. Yeah, this is essentially the closest thing. I mean, I think if you combined visiting one of those replica caves mm. with watching this film, perfect, perfect. You that can needs sort to of, you can sort of get at that, you know, that experience of the being magic inside. of it, right? It was just, you know, it was just such a, a magical experience to see it in 3D. And and as reluctant as he was to make it in 3D, and and as much as he tells you how difficult it was because of all the access, and, right, and 3D requires a lot of. Equipment and, mm-hmm. and special kinds of, of lights and sets and rigs, and they could only bring in very minimal things. They had to bring in, he said, cold lights because mm-hmm. they couldn't bring any heat into the cave. Yeah, three men, three lights, only what they could carry. So, yeah, no no heavy equipment at all. So there's a bit of drama that comes from that in a moment Absolutely. that they first descend into the cave, and he essentially looks at his watch and says, you know, we have three hours here to tell mm. our story. So let's talk about how he frames the caves, because as we had said, I mean, I'd be fascinated to even see a dull PBS documentary, but that <laughs> is exactly what this is not. No, Besides 3D, what are, what are some of the, the things that struck you about his framing of the art? Well, I feel like he gives it time, and he, he sets it up with what we've talked about with all of these restrictions, but then he gives this moment where I think it's the director of of the cave says... Okay, Jean-Claude, who's, who's also wrote an incredible book called Cave Art that I highly recommend. A now very I need to read fancy that. coffee table book that's just it has this cave and, and many other caves but is essentially kind of the definitive roundup of, of cave painting. Oh fantastic I'm ordering it now um, so he gets the whole group together and just says okay everyone be silent and in that moment Herzog does allow silence in, on screen and you get to just see the caves and experience the caves in a sense. And hear way. this hear this dripping this slow exactly. dripping of water something else we should point out a huge feature visual feature of the caves that probably didn't exist or most of it didn't exist the time when they were painted 35,000 years ago 32 whatever 
uh, are these stalactites and stalagmites that have crystallized. So it's this incredible, mysterious science fiction-like space. It looks insane with these it? sort of—I don't know what color you would call them—sort of like taupe-colored, yeah. you know, sort of whitish beige. But they're all crystals. crystals. Yeah, exactly. And it almost and looks sparkling like a, uh, kind of pendants hanging from the ceiling absolutely. everywhere. Absolutely. And it, yeah, it looks almost like a, a disco ball at one point when the lights come across it and it just shimmers. And so you have this unearthly shimmering surroundings and then you're, you're standing there with Herzog and his team, you know, in your seat with your 3D goggles on. And then he brings up the sound of a heartbeat. And I think that's him being Herzog and a little bit poetic. And then this music, which really kind of amplifies the experience that you're having in the cave, I thought anyway. You were quite struck by the music. Yeah, I was very struck by the music. It sort of apes the sound of of classical music at Mm. times, chamber music, and you think it might be Bach or something like that, but there's also something modern and strange about it that you know it had to have been composed for the film. And I guess I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name right, but it was this German cellist... Ernst Reisiger, who did the, the music for the film. And I think who they've gets, worked together a lot. Have they? I don't mm. know what else he's done for him, but I would love to hear the soundtrack of this film now. I mean, it just it just brings the unearthliness of that place Absolutely. to the floor. And then the other striking visual motif is, again, when he allows you just to step back and experience it, he does this amazing pan across the waterhole. So there is this... Yeah, this is sort of the aesthetic climax of the movie, I think you might say. It's in the last 15 minutes or so. Yeah, and so there's a whole collection of of paintings, and it looks like they surround a waterhole. And so there are these amazing horses, and there are these amazing lions, and buffalo. Is it buffalo? No, rhinoceri. Bison. Bison. And, and they are all there in this beautiful collection. Well, it doesn't just look like they surround a waterhole, right? I mean, isn't the idea that they're painted as if they were animals gathering around a waterhole, but there actually is a source of water that comes into the cave Exactly, right there? exactly. So it's, it's working with the cave, exactly what we were talking about before with the contours of the cave. And he just lets you, he just lingers the camera and then just does a really slow pan. And, oh, it's so, I mean, you can't, we can't do it justice, I don't think. It was so emotional just to to see all of that art um, in 3D with this beautiful, almost choral music and and just just revel in these ancient, ancient artworks. It's really great to see a documentary about art that allows a lot of time to look at the art. I mean, exactly. probably we should, we should say that if you're not interested in cave paintings, <laughs> you shouldn't see this movie because it Perhaps is not. absolutely nothing but looking at and thinking about Well, cave there are paintings. some pretty crazy characters as well. Should we, should we talk about the archaeologist? Yeah, let's talk about the people he yeah. interviews. I mean, he doesn't exactly do talking head. I think he's really trying no. to avoid talking head, but he shows you people at their work. So you'll mm. see someone sitting in a computer screen and showing what's happening on the, on the screen. Or you see this one guy who's made spears that resemble what they think maybe the spears of Aurignacian people, which is the people of this period that did the paintings, might have used. Mm-hmm. And this guy's sort of practicing, you know, what if there was a reindeer coming and I was trying to kill him with it? Yeah. Oh, and there's a funny use of 3D in that bit where the, the, the spear trucker sort of pokes a spear right at us. That had everyone kind of giggling a little bit. So yeah, the very kind of kitsch, old school use of 3D of the spear kind of coming out at you. But he wasn't very good at throwing it, which he was just this jovial Frenchman who was yeah practicing with spears. And then there was this experimental archaeologist who uh, was playing a flute which was made from the radius of a vulture, which was just insane in of itself, right? And then he, what Which is a play? mock-up, right, of a kind of flute, a kind of instrument exactly, that's been that found been in, found in the region. I don't think it was in, in that cave specifically. Um, but didn't he 
play Star Spangled Banner and yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was he my proudly plays Star Spangled Banner on the radius of a vulture <laughs> and he's wearing this crazy reindeer pelt that guy is wonderful he's like something yeah. out of this sort of burning man of <laughs> of a prehistoric Europe and then my other favorite was the the archaeologist who said oh we you know we all come from different walks of life and Herzog asked the extra question he's like well where did you come from he's like oh I used to work in the circus he used to ride a unicycle in the circus he used to ride circus. a unicycle which was just brilliant I mean you, again you just can't make this stuff up so it's such a, a motley crew um, of, of just passionate you know people well as was the case with uh, um, Until the End of the World is that mm. what it's called or At the Edge of Encounters the World Encounters at the End Encounters of, yeah. at the End of the World right I'm mixing it up with the Vim Vendors movie with sure. a similar title but his last documentary I think it was his last wasn't it was in Antarctica mm. at, a, at a research station in Antarctica and was even more focused on the crazy characters that gather down to make their lives in this absolutely unlivable corner of the world but exactly. he really has an eye for, for digging up characters like that he does he does indeed and then there's the the female uh I think she's another curator who walks us through the caves at one Oh, there's point. a wonderful tour from this woman. I think her name is Dominique Baffier, I want to say. Maybe getting that wrong. She's, a, a, I guess, a, a researcher archaeologist who's, who's been working with the cave for a long time. Exactly. And she takes you on just exactly the tour you would want. Oh, I mean, essentially, it's, heavenly. Just, it's just like the greatest archaeology professor taking you through, but also someone who was very appreciative of the aesthetic qualities of the cave, mm. right? Who didn't just know absolute shitloads about the age of every particle of dust in there, but could really appreciate it as a, as a work of art. And including a sort of geological work of art, she really appreciated all the things that geology has done to the cave in the time since it was Absolutely. sealed. Absolutely. And as far as the artworks are concerned, she's the one who really sensitizes you to the experience of the artwork and what, what would have been, you know, there would have been a fire and so there would have been movement. And Herzog really jumps on that as well. But she also says, look at look at the mouths of the horses. Their mouths are open, so they're whinnying. Look at the lions. Their mouths are open, they're roaring. And so she's like, you can hear them, you can hear them. And in that moment, you, you kind of can. I mean, I think, again, we were just swooning, so we were, we were very deep into it. But I think that she really brought it to life in a way in a way extra to, to what Herzog is doing because he then kind of latches onto this idea of movement and starts talking about the caves as a form of proto-cinema and, and the fact that they're almost animation, the drawings. Because Yeah, there's done, a wonderful yeah. Herzogian voiceover. I mean, almost the whole thing is voiced over by mm-hmm. him, but where he, he shows the uh, the way that these drawings show movement, for example, that a, a, a running horse has four pairs of legs or mm-hmm. something, or a rhinoceros has extra horns and talks about that as a kind of a, like a Mubridge strip of photographs, right? Exactly. Like, like proto-cinema, that's really a lovely moment. And at one point, this this woman also tells a story about an individual artist whose traces they've been able to, to follow through the cave that was incredible. Exactly. I think that that was one of the spine-tingling things for me because the whole idea of this cave is that it's so unknowable. And then they say that uh, the first uh, artwork that, that greeted the discoverers were these red, these vivid red palm prints that were in the rock. And they said, having mapped those and studied those palm prints, they noticed that one of them had a crooked finger. They were able to trace his his artwork throughout the rest of the caves because they would see this crooked finger elsewhere. And so that just... Well, I mean, of course, they don't know that life. he's the one who made the art, but he's but in, this, in terms in of this, the handprints, exactly, right? those are his artwork. Exactly. In terms of the handprints, um, he's he'd made this artwork with his crooked finger. And but when so, she tells that story and you have this, oh, this I'm do- image not even this, doing it justice. this particular individual who was alive all of those thousands of years ago and made this trip into the cave, it really is... I mean, the spirituality of the cave really comes in us thinking about it, right? It doesn't even, even almost matter why they made it. It's just the sense of time 
and and history and unknowability that you experience even contemplating this cave. And that's, I think, what Herzog gets across so well. Exactly. I mean, I think we would agree, and I'm sure the researchers in Herzog would agree, that the thrill, the aesthetic thrill of seeing these caves really partly comes from the fact that we know so little about them and that ultimately there's only so much we can learn, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they can measure every inch of them, but we're never going to know why they these caves They have measured were every inch of them. They yeah. show you this great animation that's all been laser laser sighted and everything. They, they know where every single speck is. And that, I mean, that was fantastic in of itself, the way that technology is, is really helping these these discoveries and, and helping them be recreated. I mean, hopefully, again, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed and waiting for the replica to be built because they can do that now. But then there's almost there's such a sadness. There's a tinge yeah. of sadness to, to all these scientists' efforts because the most important thing about the caves, in a way, we'll never know, which is why they were made. And so th- there is where the speculation comes in mm-hmm. that I think was one of your few problems with the movie and that definitely the archaeologists who cross-examined <laughs> Herzog afterwards had some problems with. And I wanted you to talk about that, especially because you are a history student. You come more from a background of mm. historiography and sort of questioning the way that historical events are framed. Absolutely. And there were a couple things in the film that you noticed that I probably wouldn't have noticed where you said, mm, well, he's pushing it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, look, I think he, in his Herzogian way, starts to extrapolate about how this is the... I want to read a line here. He says, it's as if the human soul had awakened here. And he just he gets very poetic. He starts to draw quite a long bow about how this might be the beginning of spirituality and how they shouldn't be called homo sapiens, they should be called homo spiritums or something, That the idea that... It's not about knowledge, it's about spirituality. And that just sat quite une- uneasily with me because I just thought, well, what is the difference between... He's asking us to imagine and take ourselves back, but what is the difference between imagination and anachronism? And that's where I, I, the historian in me kind of wrangled a little bit. But I think even he is walking back from his own claims in the film about how this is so spiritual and how there's this altar that he shows us with a skull on it. And he said, you know, he, even just calling it an altar. Right, it's a flat rock with a cave bear skull placed on it. Exactly, but he calls it an altar. And so using that word, you know, automatically brings those connotations. And I feel like in the interviews that I've read with him and what he said on the night, he's like, oh, no, you have to be very careful about making claims about this is the beginning of religion and spirituality. So I feel like he maybe got carried away in his narration and now he's walking that back a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure if he would have realized this. I'm sure he did enough research to know that there's, I'm sure, um, arguments about ethnocentricity too. And someone coming along, a German coming along and saying, here's the beginning of the human spirit, right? When all of us had been around for thousands more years trooping from Africa across the Bering Strait to wherever. Yeah, but he's always, I mean, he's, he's unapologetic about his documentary style. He doesn't go for objective truth. He's he's quite happy just to, to come right out there and say, no, I'm making the films that I want to make. And okay, they're based on real events, but he's put it, he puts himself in them. And, and I think you can't help but, but take it all with a grain of salt. Well, is that a bad pun? Um, and, and I think... You know, he he just he wants to tell his story in his very kind of lovely poetic way. But I feel like with all of these archaeologists in the room, that they were kind of tisking a little bit. So it's sort of hard to spoil a documentary about <laughs> cave paintings, like does the guy kill the bison? In the end? <laughs> but there is sort of one spoiler because this film has a completely unexpected coda that goes somewhere you never would have thought. I mean, that's very Herzogian in itself, right? That it ends on a note that you never would have imagined you'd end up on, which is albino mutant alligators. So can you tell me how we get from (laughs) from 35,000-year-old cave paintings to albino mutant alligators? I'm still not sure how we got there, but basically the documentary ends and then, you know, the image comes back up and we're seeing this nuclear reactor 
and you suddenly go, oh dear, what's happening now? Is, is the, are the caves being threatened by this nuclear reactor? What's happening? And then you find out that the water, the coolant water from the nuclear reactor is actually... Which is 20 miles away from the site. Yeah, is, is actually warming this biosphere that has these crocodiles in it. And from oh, yeah, you're, they're crocodiles, not alligators, yeah, you're right. Cro- oh, sorry, yeah, crocodiles. That's the Australian in me. Um, and so the crocodiles, you know, he then makes some sort of bizarre analogy about how the crocodiles, what do they think when they see their surroundings and that the crocodiles... And there's these close-ups of these baby bright white alligators yeah. swimming in this steaming biosphere. I mean, I guess part of what it evokes, which is anachronistic to, to, to the cave painting days, but it, it feels like dinosaur times, right? Yes. Like we're back in some strange Jurassic period. Exactly. I mean, the crocodile and the alligator being, you know, one and of the And the steaming last... ferns all around yeah. them in the, in the biosphere. Oh, he just can't help himself, can he? That was what was so brilliant. You're just kind of shaking your head going, oh, Herzog, what are you doing? <laughs> but I mean, it works. He's, you see these two um, albino crocodiles swimming around and at one point two of them meet and he says... Are they a mirror image? Yeah. I can't do a German <laughs> accent. Oh, I wish I could do a Herzog impression. I would rip into it that right was, now. That was pretty good. Um, and so, yeah, and, and the whole idea being what do they see and are their eyes as foreign as ours are trespassing on on these caves or something like that. But then I also heard in an interview that some of the crocodiles escaped and they had to be tracked by helicopters. And so the fact that, you know, Herzog was saying in the interview, perhaps the the alligators would make it into the caves after all and and his prophecy would come true. And it's just, it's (laughs) completely bizarre, but it was brilliant. So yeah, I think that's... You know, he just loved the fact they escaped. I bet he let them out himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's just, I mean, it's a a bizarre um, epilogue to the whole story, but... All I could think when the mutant alligator showed up was of the scene in Bad Lieutenant where the iguanas show up on a coffee table, right? Of his recent <laughs> remake of Bad Lieutenant. It was sort of Perfect. like Herzog is on some kick where there have to be inappropriate reptile placements in yeah. every single movie. They're going to be sight gags. I'm going to have to go back through and, and have a look. Maybe there's some in Aguirre as well. The <laughs> next movie is going to be, hey, salamanders just <laughs> popped up out of nowhere. <laughs> Well, Alice, thank you so much. This was one of the funnest screenings I've seen in a long time and one of the funnest spoilers. So thanks so much for coming oh, in to do pleasure. it. my pleasure. It was such a delight. Our producer is Krishnan Vasudevan. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 